listening to the Private Citizen, the podcast for critical thinkers. This is episode 117 for Wednesday, the 11th of May, 2022. Blockchain Basics. Hello, everybody. My name is Fab. I'm coming to you live from the beautiful Dusseldorf um, on the Rhine, on the River Rhine um, in Germany. Uh, I'm your host, as always. Uh, it's indeed beautiful today. It's wonderful weather. It's like warm, um, like summer. It was a very lovely day today. Um, I had a lot of work to do today, but I managed to go for a run earlier in the sun. <laughs> and now I'm completely wiped. I'm like done for. So I'm gonna gonna get this podcast down for you, and then I'm gonna go to bed. But uh, I don't know what time it is for you, so uh, let me not get you down. Um, you know, you might you might have a full day ahead of you as you're listening to this. Um, today we're gonna listen to listen to you're gonna listen to me <laughs> talk about blockchains. We're gonna talk about blockchains. Um, so I had several requests uh, to talk about NFTs, and um, that is certainly a topic that is on vogue right now, and one um, I am happy to um, analyze. But I think to do that pretty much we need to first talk about blockchains because you might be listening to this and not know what a blockchain is how it works don't worry you'll you'll know this after uh after this episode and um yes as you can probably tell if you uh downloaded this and you looked at the description or you went through the show notes you know private citizen.press where all the show notes are for all the episodes including this one um you will have um gathered from my introductory text that i am um, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of of of, uh, of blockchains. I think I'm not a fan of many of the ways that people are trying to um, sell you blockchains, pretty much, or that that you know blockchains are being used for right now. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about that uh, today, and then next episode is going to be NFTs. I'm going to talk about NFTs once once we have this uh, this down. Uh, it'll probably ne be next episode. Will probably be next Wednesday. I'm I'm. In incredibly busy it's not getting e any easier just getting more work but I'm, I'm trying to get an episode out for you here uh once a week so uh, yeah so next one's going to be about nfts um maybe before i start into the topic um uh, you know just as a little little background um i uh been very involved into you know researching blockchains and 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 and, uh, and, and bitcoin early on uh, when we were doing linux, linux outlaws um I actually, uh, you know, uh, it was one of the topics that came up. This was like very early. This must have been like 2011, 2012, maybe, maybe even earlier. Um, and I did an episode about blockchain, which was a bit, a bit Bitcoin, sorry. Well, we talked about how, uh, me and Dan talked about how blockchains work as well in that one. And then, uh, you know, explained Bitcoin, which was one of the most popular, popular episodes of the show. Um, we actually had people send us Bitcoin uh and um uh, we sold them back then for a pittance um just to cover some server costs um had i kept those bitcoin uh i got back then for the show i would and i'm i'm not joking i would be a millionaire right now um but i didn't because i don't know anything about money or investing so never listen to any advice from me on cryptocurrencies or anything any investment related stuff in my household this is something um my wife handles 
<laughs> this is why I became a journalist, um, because I'm not good with that kind of stuff. But anyway, I was very early on uh, looking at this technology. I actually wrote, um, when I went to CT, my my first real story, like, when I went to Heiser in Germany, uh, my first real story for CT, which is Europe's biggest tech magazine, and like it's an institution in Germany. Um, and this was in 2013. My 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 very one of my very first stories actually ended up to be the cover story, where me and a colleague who um, has has since also left Heiser and has gone on to um, get a PhD in mathematics. He did the the, the math part because I'm shit at math as well. <laughs> um, we explained how uh, bitcoins and blockchains worked, and I, I thought in 2013 that was like an old hat. Uh, but it turned out to be like really the first in-depth article on this, in, at least in Germany, <laughs> um, I think, at least at that level, uh, which 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 was kind of pretty cool. Anyway, so I have a history of this kind of stuff, and I might be, you know, the fact that I might I might be a millionaire right now had I been uh, a little bit more um, better at predicting the future. Um, you know, you you take from that what you want. Uh, I might be a little bit jaded. I mean, I've. I've completely. I'm not bitter at that at all. I'm like, um, um, I I am completely aware that I'm like that, and I don't care. I'm happy, you know. I've, I've got a job. I've got enough money to live. Um, I can do whatever I want. Um, I can spend my days with my um, uh, with my uh, uh, you know steering wheel in front of my computer playing video games, and that's all I want. Um, and make a little bit of money and have people support me for my podcast, and that's perfect anyway so with that a little bit of a backgrounder uh, just so you know where i'm coming from um let's let's talk about what a blockchain actually is okay so um as I said, I'm going to talk about NFTs uh, in the next episode, which is a technology that is very much uh, int intrinsically linked with blockchain technology. Um, so uh, as a basis, this episode should serve to explain to you um, what a blockchain is, how it came about, um, what it's being used for. Um, but let's first look at, you know, how, how a blockchain works, what it is. And you might approach it in a way where you say a blockchain is basically a cryptographically signed database. Um, just as it has a twist to it. Um, so uh, if you uh, do software development um, or you know an open source enthusiast, you might know Git, which is a version control system developed by Linus Torvalds, who's the guy who in invented the Linux kernel and you know Linux. And that turned into the operating system we now know as Linux, as Richard Stallman would say, GNU, GNU slash Linux. Um, and Git is such a cryptographically designed database, uh, um, signed database. Sometimes they call them cryptographically secured databases. Basically how it works, a, a database is, um, you might know this if you, you know, SQL or anything like this, a database is a collection of records. And in a normal database, um, you can delete individual individual records, and generally nobody will be any wiser, right? I mean, you know, something like SQL or other databases do have like a, an ID uh, that usually counts up that you can kind of tell 
uh, that their records have been deleted, but you can never know what was in those records or, you know, it's it's just not designed in a way to um, make sure that then nothing gets changed or deleted. And in a system like Git, where, you know, a system, uh, the Git is a version control system where you track changes to a code base, right? And every change gets um, entered into the database. Um, so you have a code base, you're at a certain point, and, you know, your Git commit will be, um, I did this. I changed this file in a certain way. And then somebody else or you maybe do another change based on that. And what you don't want is like one of these changes in the middle go missing. Like you want a somewhat of an authenticated chain of all those commits. And if you know a little bit about cryptography, the way you do this is relatively easy. So you take a record for the database that exists, right? Uh, let's say we're at record number five and we want en to enter a record number six. What we do is we take the data that represents record number five and we create a hash. Now a hash is a cryptographic function. It's an algorithm that you can throw. It's, la it's generally designed so you can take a huge load of data, right? You could take Shakespeare's collected works throw it into this hashing function, and it spits, spits out a relatively small string. Like, let's say, I don't know, uh, what's the normal length of this kind of thing? 64 characters, maybe. Um, and this will, what this does, it basically, get, if this algorithm works correctly, it guarantees you that um, when I throw in Shakespeare's collected works in this version that I have, I always get this same string out. If I change even one character, like if I even change a space in this whole large text I'm putting in there, the string that comes out will be completely different. This is a one-way function, so to speak, which means um, if I only have that string, I can never know what was originally thrown into there, generally. Well, I think it's in all the cases because it's just too too little information, right? So that that sixty four character or twenty eight character string or whatever it is, um, you know, however the algorithm works, is always the same for the Shakespeare's collected works. But with that, I can't. If I only have that hash, this is this the resulting string is called the hash. If I only have that hash, I can never reconstruct Shakespeare's collected works, right? It's a way of condensing a large amount of information into a manageable size and a way of figuring out if any bit of that information changes. It basically makes sure that whatever um, was in there has, hasn't changed. So what we do is we take the record number five and throw it into a hash function. We get a hash out, like the string, and we put that in record number six. And then we do that every time. When we put record number seven, we, we hash record number six, which includes the hash for, for record number five, right? Which means um, if somebody, I mean, this is a digital system, right? Um, somebody could go in the database and change, I mean, they could delete a record, uh, which, you know, we would now we have a chain, so we know that's been deleted. But what's more important, they could change like even one, like for example, in the code base, you don't want this to happen, right? I commit something, I'm a committer, I have, you know, I, I'm trusted by somebody to work on the code and I do something, somebody hacks in there and changes my code and puts a backdoor in, right? Um, what we can make sure is 
if we look at the hash in record number six, we can like we can take record number five and if somebody changes that, right, a year later, we take what's supposed to be record number five, we throw it in the hash function, and if it doesn't match the hash that's in record number six, we know somebody's tampered with the database. That is all a you know cryptographically signed database is. It's you know once you get that idea and once you figure it out, it's a rel relatively th simple thing. Um, and of course, this only um, like uh, <laughs> it kind of only protects like things in the middle, right? So if I get access to the actual Let's let's talk about Git. Let's let's assume we're talking about Git. Um, if I get access to the actual complete Git database, of course I could like if I want to change record number six, right? And we're up to twenty eight now. Um, I could you know uh, change number six, redo the hash, then change number seven, uh, redo the hash. So I, I'll 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 fake everything from that point on forwards in the chain. If there's only one Git database, there's no um, uh, way of preventing that. Uh, Git um, kind of protects against that because it's supposed to be a distributed system, right? I have a version on my computer and I have a version in GitHub or whatever. And if I'm a large company, uh, hundreds or even thousands of people have local Git databases of this code base. So somebody who goes, let's say, um, let's say we're talking um, a large open source project uh, code base on GitHub, and somebody goes and hacks into GitHub and changes um, a one little, you know, puts a backdoor somewhere in the code, um, and 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 has access to everything and can do anything, and then fakes the whole, like puts that in a commit a year back, and then then regenerates the whole commit history, everything, the whole database basically from that point um, to hide it. That would immediately uh, like raise alerts because somebody who has who's been working on this code base for a year and has has this whole like the original history of all those hashes on their desktop Git database. If they go and do a change and check it in, like Git would go well. well there's a conflict. Like this, my database doesn't fit with the one in GitHub, right? And then the guy goes to his colleague and then we figure out, okay, every, everybody's local database is the same, just somebody changed something uh, in, 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 in GitHub. So, so that's how Git gets around this. Um, but generally, there is, um, with these databases, there is a, a central authority, right? Um, you can protect certain things in this, this database. You can you can protect the integrity against like changes and stuff like that, as I'm as I explained. Uh, but generally, you assume that there's a canonical database, or that somebody has access to the database, and you know it's controlling access that um, somebody is trusted, and that that source has a trusted version of this encrypted database, and then everybody is cryptographic, not encrypted, cryptographically secured. And then everybody can just compare. And as long as you have a trusted source, um, uh, you know, the trusted source might be, let's say, if it's open source, but it might actually be the one in GitHub. Or it might be the consensus, right? It might be we have 500 developers all over the world. 
uh, GitHub gets hacked. Now we have four, 499 databases that agree and one that is doesn't agree. Um, but there's always like a central authority. And basically a blockchain is the same thing. A blockchain is the same thing as this kind of database, except it solves one more problem. What if, what if, what if we have a problem where we cannot trust the central authority? How do we solve this? How do we have a cryptographically secured database? You know, that can be distributed, but that's not new. You know, Git databases, for example, are distributed. Um, you know, all kinds of cloud technology. You have local databases that sync up with, uh, with you know, other databases, you know, peer-to-peer. -peer. I mean, this is not new. Um, but what happens if we don't, if we cannot trust the central authority? And that's basically where the blockchain was invented. I mean, the blockchain, I think, was proposed uh, by a guy. Wasn't it a Berkeley? It's always Berkeley, guys. I think a Berkeley guy in the 80s, maybe, maybe even the 70s. Um, actually, I'm going to, if you go to the show notes, uh, private citizen press, uh, there's a link, of course, uh, to all the stuff in this uh, Wikipedia article on blockchains. And apparently, yes, uh, David Chaum, a cryptographer, um, proposed a blockchain-like protocol in uh, his 1982 dissertation. Computer systems established, maintained, and trusted by mutually suspicious groups, which, you know, it kind of, it's kind of solving the same problem. But, you know, the blockchain as we know it was basically uh, popularized by uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who is not a real person, but a, um, a pseudonym or for a person or a group of people uh, who invented Bitcoin. And to invent Bitcoin, um, they came up with, with this idea of the blockchain as we know it today. Because Bitcoin has a very specific problem. Bitcoin is a very politically charged um, idea, right? And typical for, 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 for a lot of tech, uh, you know, tech uh, inventions, uh, you know, this, is, this, was, this was from the beginning a very political invention. Uh, Bitcoin says, what if we have a currency and the fact that it's digital doesn't really actually matter that much. That's just to solve the problem. What if we have a currency that's not controlled by a central authority? Because generally a currency is always con controlled by central authority, usually the central bank in a country. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. Fed um, is in charge of the U.S. dollar or, you know, a central authority for several countries. Uh, the European Central Bank uh, being in control of the euro, uh, for example. And if we don't want that, because of course that brings with it certain, you know, powers. For example, like states have powers because they have currencies, right? They can they can print money. I mean, this is a thing that goes back to I don't know, you know, the British Empire. You know, and then the king going, uh, we need to finance this war. Uh, let's create more money. And then that causes inflation. And I'm not, I'm not uh, a specialist on economics, obviously, um, as you could tell by my intro there earlier. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, that's a thing. That's, that's how currencies usually work. And, and this Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto, this person, a group of people uh, said, what, like, how would, the world change if we had a currency that wasn't controlled by a state. And then, you know, there's different things built into actually Bitcoin about, you know, 
uh, how to not have inflation and stuff like that. It's actually deflation built in and, and all these kind of things. But I'm not going to go into that. I'm, this is not an episode about Bitcoin. This is not an episode about any other cryptocurrency. I don't really want to wade into that minefield if I don't have to. Um, and as you can tell from my intro there, I'm probably not the most qualified person to do so. So um, let's not do that. Um, it's But it's important to understand that Bitcoin is, is, was a very political thing. So um, the idea was kind of like almost Marxist-Leninist, maybe a little bit. You know, let's have a country that's controlled by nobody, well, maybe even anarchist, or controlled by the people in general. It's, it's more by the people, right? This country is controlled by everybody who owns it. Um, how How do we do that? Right. And the idea is, um, yes, we could. So Bitcoin is not really a currency. It's always called a currency, but it's like generally it's an accounting system. That's that's more um, more apt. Right. It's a it's a ledger. It's like a big book and it has entries. It goes like this person owns that many Bitcoins. And then that person goes, okay, I'm going to send half of my Bitcoins to that person. And I'm saying persons, don't, these are really unpersons. These are like addresses you can send it to. A person can have multiple addresses, which gives you a certain point of, you know, anonymity, at least as long as you stay in the system and, you know, have don't have payouts and stuff like that. But um, so it's it's an accounting system. It's a, it's a, it's a way of moving um, a, a digital kind of currency, right? Kind of digital uh, a num numbers basically around from one account to another um and and you know the the idea was hey why don't we have like a cryptographically signed database that that records all this which is basically what a blockchain is it's a chain of blocks blocks being the you know objects in the database the database entries that we talked about and the chain being, it does the same thing. It 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 takes the previous block, the previous entry in the database, and hashes it, and puts that information into the next block. Um, which means, you know, you can't manipulate blocks in the middle because you would um, you would immediately uh, detect this. Now it doesn't have a central authority, so. It just has this, it just creates this, somebody creates this database and then mirrors it. Like everybody who participates in the system has their own database, which is why, you know, if you want to really be sure, you know, if you, I mean, you don't have to in day to day use of Bitcoin, but like if you, the people who are invested in the system who are keeping the system running, they need to download the complete blockchain before they can start, right? Because you need to check everything back to the initial like the Genesis block or whatever it's called, where Satoshi said, okay, this is like, the, I'm create, I'm God, I'm God of the system, I'm creating the first Bitcoin, and then I'm buying a pizza with it or whatever you did. Uh, so, right. So you can, you can do that, you can distribute that, but you have the problem that, um, like, who's in charge, right? If... Um, with Git, you have like people who are allowed to commit, and 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 those can change the database. And you have, you have canonical um, places where this database is stored. And same with other, uh, you know, cryptographically signed databases. There is a there's an assumption of um, 
somebody owning the thing and somebody having rights and giving rights to other people and not everybody being allowed to change stuff. Uh, with the blockchain, anybody can change anything. Um, so how do we make sure, like if, I mean, it's it's nice to have a cryptographically authenticated chain of of, 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 of data that I have, but what, what like, what prevents anybody else from just copying it and changing stuff, right? So if it's a ledger of money, basically, and it says like this address, which belongs to Fab, has like five Bitcoin, and 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 then somebody just goes, no, no, actually, no, Fab only has three Bitcoins, and those two Bitcoins belong to me. Like, what what prevents somebody um, from from doing that? And that, that's basically where the 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 idea, the invention of a blockchain comes in. Um, I'm gonna just do this very high level, right? This, I've, I've, I've linked a good Wikipedia article in the show notes on private citizen press. If you want to go into details, um, uh, and you know, if you speak German, you can even look up my uh, CT article from. Uh, I should maybe should should should, uh, should link that in the show notes, shouldn't I? I'll I'll do that. I'm just gonna see if I can find it. Um, let me just see. Uh, CT, I think this was 2013 Bitcoin. <laughs> Let's see if I, can, if I can find it, if I just search that. Probably not. Okay, I'm on like bloody English Google. So I'm not going to find that. Uh, uh, I put some German words in there. Sorry, this is like a live. Um, I don't know what the, I don't know what the article was called uh, back in the day. But but you know if I put my name in it, I must I must be able to find it. Oh, it was CT um, twenty five twenty thirteen, page one hundred forty six. Währung im Kollektiv. Um, I'm I'm gonna link that. Um, so if you wanna, that explains it very in depth. It's old, but it's you know nothing really. Ch- I mean. The numbers in there were like playing around with like one Bitcoin. That's like the the examples. That's a bit crazy these days. Like, but you know. Um, so basically, high level. How does this work? Um, what you're doing is in a normal distribu- in a normal um, um, cryptographically secure database. You're taking the previous record. You're hashing it. And then you're putting the hash into um, the next record. Now a hash is basically I put Shakespeare's collector works in, and I get like a, 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 a that that is a pseudo pseudo random string that I get out. Like it looks like random noise, um, and normally that's okay. Like if you do git commits, you will see like the commit hash is just like a one six five nine f d c you know whatever. Um, it's like basically a random string. That's that's how you know um, hashing algorithms have to work to be secure. If you could guess uh, what what comes out based on what you put in, uh, you could break that algorithm, right? You could you could you could you could do shenanigans. You could you could mess around with it. Um, and Bitcoin. F- works in a way where basically uh, to to create the next block, you need a hash of the previous block, but that hash has to ha- have certain criteria. 
right? It has to have certain, like, I think it's zeros at the end. And, you know, the harder, the harder you want this exercise to be, the more zeros you put in. So basically, um, you say to be a valid hash for this kind of database, this needs to uh, fulfill a certain requirement. Let's say like five zeros at the end. Now, because um, you can't uh, can't predict the outcome of the hashing algorithm, right? You put the actual raw data of the block in, right? Um, and then a hash comes out, and you're like, okay, that has no zeros at the end. How do I change that? You can put random data in. It's called padding, right? You usually do that when you hash things. You it was pad to a certain length, certain length. So you 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 change like one bit in the, in this data that you're putting in, and you get a completely different hash, right? Now you have to do this because you can't predict what the hash is going to look like. You have to do this again and again and again and again until you get a hash that fulfills that requirement to have certain zeros at the end, right? And that's called a proof of work, because you, you, with a computer, um, you have to do a lot of work. And that's what's called Bitcoin mining. It's basically running these hashes, right? which is why first you do that on CPU, then pe people did it on, on GPUs, then people did it on like ASICs or whatever, um, you know, on basically on custom chips uh, to do this kind of thing. Th that is mining, right? C creating these um, blocks. So... Um, basically, if I do a Bitcoin transaction, I download the entire database, look at the latest block, the latest record in this database, and go, okay, um, now I, I, I'm going to introduce a new record that says, okay, this Bitcoin address sends money to this address, for example, um, which would be a transaction. Um, and, and right, I, I, I'm going to append that as the next block. And then I have to do the, the work in hashing, right? And the first person who basically gets a hash that has like whatever the criteria is, kind of kind of wins and says, okay, this is now the new blockchain. Um, this is the new, this is the canonical blockchain. And that's, you know, that's the miner, the, the person who manages to do that to put in that new block and basically what you do in practice you you collate different transactions from people put them in the block and then do the mining work get the right hash for this thing um and bammy whammy this is the new blockchain you get you get money you get a um a reward either transaction fees or like a mining price fee basically for having created this block this is how you generate bitcoins this you get how you get rich uh, um, and then there's pool mining let's not get into that so this is because you have to do a lot of work to generate this block it's assumed that there's only one person who manages this around the world at the same time and then this peer-to-peer -peer network um, redistributes this database and then that, so the longest database is on, always the canonical one, right? So two people could actually at the same time come up with a valid block and then um, whatever, then you have like a split record, right? You have two uh, parallel universes, two, two blockchains that could actually be the canonical blockchain. But then the next guy who mines 
picks one of those and attaches the next block and 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 one of those chains is going to be longer than the other one and the longer one i mean these get all distributed through the network and the longer one's always the canonical one so every every system once it gets like every system that downloads the blockchain to do mining or do do transactions whatever once it gets presented with two possible blockchains and one is longer it always takes that one and discounts the other one so in the end you always have one canonical blockchain this is a very ingenious system that enables you to have a, a cryptographically signed database that is, as far as we know, uh, is cryptographically bulletproof, is distributed, and it generates itself. It's like the system, it's like a huge algorithm, and everybody who participates in this, you know, in, engages with this system is part of this, this uh, collective almost of... of computing power that generates this blockchain and there's nobody in charge now there is this 50 percent problem 51 percent problem um you might have heard of which is um anybody who controls 51 percent of the mining power can of the planet can theoretically because you know this is all this is just a brute force thing like creating that has a, a brute force problem um it's because it's basically random it's pseudo random technically but it let's let's say it's random um the the person that can throw the most computing power at this problem will always control the blockchain so if somebody manages to collect 51 percent of the computing power they will theoretically control the blockchain that that is a problem there are solutions to this problem let's not get into that too deep uh generally if the system works we have we have this ledger, this distributed record um, of transactions, and you know, bit, blockchains can be used for all kinds of other things. We we'll get into that, but it's generally always a record. It's a database. It's a distributed database, and it's controlled by nobody, which is great and ingenious. And and that's what a blockchain is, and that's how it was invented. It was invented for Bitcoin, because Bitcoin, as a political project to create a currency that is not controlled by a state, a company, you know, there were, back in the day, there were companies uh, basically having their own currency, uh, script, company script. Um, sometimes you come across this in science fiction again. Um, you know, you have, uh, this was like, you know, Wild West, the American West, like railroad company, and they, they had their own currency and shit like that. Uh, you know the company store and all this kind of stuff um but you have this po you have this political project to create a currency that works like this and and you have this ingenious system which solves this problem right um with this proof of work this brute forcing of these algorithms which creates a monumental waste of computing power because you have like literally server farms in China that do nothing else than try to brute force this hashing algorithm, which, you know, I mean, you get bitcoins for it, but it's generally it's just a waste of computing power, a colossal waste. It's a waste of energy. Um, it's like, uh, I don't know, I don't know where we're at yet, but like it's pretty much accepted that the Bitcoin blockchain uses as much power as like a small country. And by small country, we're talking like Romania, 
maybe maybe we're up to Poland by now like this kind of energy is being expended in doing this um, which is something you can say you can say you can you, we want to ban this which is of course bullshit um, because you know it's a thing that you know it's a distributed system nobody has control over it um, there are solutions to this there um, there are you know ways to change this proof of work um, there's especially for cryptocurrency there's a, a, a thing called a proof of stake where basically you don't have to do that work but like the um, it's regulated by you know stake by people having an ownership in the currency um, and this works on the assumption that somebody who has a stake in the currency who owns a lot of the currency has a an inherent interest in the currency being stable, right? So uh, they are somebody who who's not going to mess with the currency. And I'm not going to go into how that works. Suffice it to say, there are several other solutions to this um, where we don't have that huge waste of energy. But the original idea was this proof of work, you know, that Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that is, came up with. Um, and that's quite ingenious. Okay, then let's move on from here and let's talk about uh, what blockchains are being used for. So of course, first we got Bitcoin, right? That's, 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 that's what it's, um, what what like if you read Satoshi Nakamoto's paper, it doesn't say, "Hey, blockchain is a great idea. We should use this in all kind of startup systems. We should have uh, social networks based on this. Banks should use this. Countries should." It doesn't say any of that. It says we want a currency that's not controlled by any one state or large actor, and that's a way to do it. Hey, let's do that. Um, but since then, um, we have had a lot of. Uh, ideas of people who um, said, well, we can use this technology for other things. And I personally, you know, I just, just to give you a little bit of a, a, a personal note here. Um, I'm neither a fan of Bitcoin nor am I against it. I think it's a, it's a great social experiment. I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, as a historian, currency always been based on being controlled by a state or somebody like that, you know, a, a large entity. I think it's a it's a it's a valid idea to 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 try and and change that. Um, it has issues. Um, this might be even a, in another episode at some point. We we'll talk about Bitcoin and and the issues with Bitcoin. Um, but generally, I'm not. I'm neither. You know, I'm neither like this is going to save the planet. This is great. This is going to save all of us. It's going to save capitalism or change it or whatever. Um, I'm neither on that camp nor am I on the camp like let's. This is a stupid idea. Let's forbid it. It's dangerous. Um, it's just there, and I think it's interesting. Um, I also think blockchains are an interesting technology, um, an ingenious technology. It's actually one of the. You know, people throw the. The word invention around a lot, um, especially in Silicon Valley. I think a lot of things people uh, think are inventions are not actually inventions. This is this is a genuine invention. I mean, it's based on something else. It's based on you know cryptographically signed databases, but it is an invention. It's a it's a great idea. How 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 can we do that without it being controlled by a central authority? That is that is cool. 
Um, but, you know, Silicon Valley being Silicon Valley and startup culture being startup culture, you have salespeople uh, involved, right? Um, as Astro C uh, says, I'm obviously a streamer's live on Twitch, as I, as I do when I record these things, you know. Um, now, how can we use that as a buzzword, right? Salespeople come in, and and this is coupled with with it's not only salespeople force. This is this is IT nerds' fault as well. Um, you know, I've been um, been a professional journalist and a tech journalist for uh, over ten years now. Um, I've I've written and I've I've looked at and talked about tech for much longer. I mean, I've been, you know, ever since I have a comp had a computer, got my first computer in 89, I've been very interested in this and I've been following all this kind of thing. And I've, I've, I've you know, things and inventions. And I, I've noticed this tendency with fellow nerds, maybe because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a nerd, I'm a geek, but I'm not a typical nerd. You know, I didn't study anything with information, involving information technology. I'm shit at math. Um, you know, I studied humanities. I'm generally more interested in uh, how does I think it's Vox, who who calls it the intersection between uh, people and technology or society and technology. That that is what I'm interested in. I'm much more interested in that than in the math behind a certain technology. I mean, I'm comfortable looking that up and researching it and and trying to understand it, and often understanding it sometimes with some help. Um, but that's not what I find interesting. I find interesting what it does to people and how people use it. Um, so I'm a bit of a different kind of nerd, right? Also, I uh, I, I wear bow ties and I uh, feel like I have more style than some some of some of the more typical nerds and people that run around Silicon Valley and and do software development and stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm I'm just different than those people. And I've noticed this tendency um, in these people. In a lot of, I don't want to generalize, but this is a definite tendency that many of my friends actually uh, also exhibit, people I would consider friends, um, especially friends on the internet, um, who are these kind of tanky people. Um, tanky people tend to see technical solutions as solutions for all kinds of problems. You know, when the, when the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic hit, People were like, oh, we can use apps to track this. And this was a huge topic for me on the show where I said, you know, I don't, you know, had the, that episode with Tante, Jürgen Goethe, who was also a techie guy, but we were both basically going, you know, so flatten the curve thing and using technology. Maybe, you know, maybe technology is not the way to solve this problem. This is a very human problem. It's a very it's a societal problem. It's a biological problem. You can, can't solve this with Bluetooth tracking. Probably, and I think we're right. I think uh, history proved proved me right on 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 that <laughs> on that note. Um, but I I noticed this tendency a lot. Like, um, I mean, in all kinds of like uh, situations, the Ukraine war right now, everywhere, techie people they see a problem in society and they're like, we can solve this with software and algorithm and, and blockchain. Like these days, it's often blockchain. That gets thrown around and it's like i'm not even sure this the problem you're trying to solve is solvable by technology sometimes um especially like societal problems are often not solvable by technology um and there's often this idea in silicon valley and especially silicon valley press who's all gung-ho for this kind of thing yeah we can we can change the world with, with this kind of thing 
And um, it turns out, like often, you can't change the world like that. You change the world by changing people, right? You can't go. Um, I mean, electric cars are another example. Here's a technology that's going to save the planet. No, it's not. Um, if the problem you're trying to solve, which I'm not convinced of entirely, exists as you think it does, um, you won't solve this with technology. You solve it by... So if people use too many resources, um, which is the problem you're trying to solve, um, you don't solve this by like making cars use different resources or less resources. Right, you solve it by by changing people. The people that use too many resources are the problem. Um, you know, if the if the electric car you're building to to save CO two or whatever, you know, is assembled by shipping materials around the whole planet, expanding CO two, um, then you know, maybe maybe as a, in a net calculation you're not even but we're getting too deep into the the the, the actual uh, example here that's actually not what i want to do I, I just generally there is a tendency with techie people to 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 think that technology is a kind of savior and, and and just just improving technology or inventing new things um will solve this these problems and and blockchains are a prime example for this Blockchains are being used for all kinds of things where techie people want, we can improve the world by using a blockchain here. But basically, you don't need a blockchain there, is one point. And also, it doesn't help because you're trying to do something that actually you could could do better by just, you know, changing society or changing people. Um, I had one of a, you know, a, a watershed moment I mean, I had this way before, but a, a very good thing that I was talking about, like a good example about uh, of this, um, is something that that happened to me. I think this was in 2019. I was in Prague um, covering an um, uh, an AI conference, and there were also this was no, actually that was a blockchain conference. I think it was a specifically a blockchain. Oh no, this wasn't in Prague. In Prague, oh, sorry, I think this was earlier than 2019. Prague was the AI conference. No, I was actually, right, this was in Hamburg. I was at a blockchain conference. I think I was actually hosting a stage there. But anyway, uh, I had some time off from what I was doing, and I, I listened to one of the keynotes of the conference, which was the CTO of Estonia, I think, um, which is, you know, still something. It's weird that countries have CTOs, but, right? The guy in charge for technology for Estonia, which is one of the Baltic states, very small country, uh, but very um, digitally uh, um, ahead of of other countries, right? And he was going on. Well, um, his this this um, blockchain, uh, his 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 keynote at this blockchain conference was, we solved tax evasion and tax crime with the blockchain. And it turns out. What Estonia did, um, at least according to him, I don't know how well that actually worked. I didn't actually research that because, I mean, I was just sitting there shaking my head throughout this whole talk. Um, but he was basically, what, what they did is they um, uh, made a blockchain that any, any company that does a financial transaction, I think it was over a thousand euros, um, basically puts that into a blockchain, right? Um, this immediately struck me as... Um, a misuse of the blockchain technology A and B uh, very dumb and not scalable. Um, 
let's start with B. Estonia is a very small country. Um, he was like, because at the end of his uh, keynote, he was like, um, so Germany should do this, right? And uh, and then I think in the, while I was sitting there, while he was still talking, I looked up quickly uh, what the GDP of Estonia was. And it turned out it's smaller than the GDP of the, I was living, we were in Hamburg at the time, of Hamburg Harbor, which is a huge harbor, which imports a lot of shit when you're in Europe. A lot of stuff comes from China to either Hamburg or Rotterdam and then gets shipped on. Right? So if you're in Denmark, let's say, and you're buying something and, you know, clothes or an iPhone or whatever, and that originally comes from China, then it probably passed Hamburg Harbor. So there's a lot of business being conducted there. But still, um, it turns out that, like, you know, there are um, German, um, I think, I think either, I think VW and BMW together, um, you know, has more financial turnover than Estonia in a year, right? So if you scale this all to Germany, you're just imagining, like, they put all their financial data. Um, like, if you if you consider um, every every company that does a financial transaction more than a thousand euros in Estonia compared to in Germany, it's just there's such a huge amount of that. Your blockchain would just, like, fucking explode, right? That didn't make any sense to me. Like, that is totally not scalable. Also, um, another, like, there were ethical issues with, like, just... Um, ethical and business issues with like, I mean, you're making public what every company does at any given time uh, because it's in a public ledger, right? All of these issues. But like, there's a, there's an immediate issue when they say like a technical issue when, when you said we're doing this in a blockchain. I was like, why are you doing this in a blockchain? What you're doing, I, I mean, I didn't talk to the guy. Um, I sh maybe I should have. <laughs> um, it was a little bit too humble. My, maybe I should have explained to him why is why the why it's a fucking da stupid idea. Um, you, why are you doing this in the blockchain? I mean, this is something. This is information that companies in Estonia. Um, I don't even know if they have that blockchain still. This was a few years ago, but like, let's assume they have. Um, that a company, if you're in Estonia and this is all wrong, please let me know. Private citizen or press contact details in the show notes. I'd be I'd be fascinated to hear what's going on. But like, um, I mean, I'm going by what the guy did. I mean, he was the CEO of the country, so I'm, I'm assuming he was at least for the time kind of correct. Um, so you have a government agency that has. I mean, this is tax state in Germany. That this is like an office, right? This is like the. Um, uh, what's the IRS in the US, right? Um, so you have a government authority that all the companies submit this data to that then puts that in the blockchain. Why? Why do we need a decentralized database? They could just have a database. I mean, you have to, it's tax information. You have to trust the government anyway, um, right? You're paying taxes. It's not like you have any recourse there. Um, and they were like, okay, this this completely destroyed tax fraud. I mean, what destroyed tax fraud, tax fraud was putting all financial transactions of every company into a public database or like not even into a public database. I don't think that doesn't even matter for the tax fraud. Giving the government, and this is another um, potential economic and, you know, legal and whatever issue, giving the government information on every... Uh, transaction that any company does in your country of course that's gonna eliminate tax fraud right um because like 
you found a company and you don't have any data um then they're like what are you doing and then like as soon as you do anything with another company and they they submit their information and you don't the government can go like where's your information i mean in estonia <laughs> which has a tiny gdp in germany like you could send all this information to the government there's there's not not enough big data and ai and whatever to actually make out of the tales of it because it would just be so i mean so i mean i would be in there like my little fucking uh, fab industries which isn't actually really a company it's just me being on my own a freelancer like i do transaction at over a thousand euros right I, i'd have to every month i'd have to tell them okay you know i just uh sold these stories to, like, i mean it's ludicrous but it's it's a very good example for a stupid idea for a blockchain other ideas are banks going yeah we have a blockchain like why do you have a block like why does deutsche bank have a blockchain technology like the idea is it's a bank and they are in control of the money so the reason why blockchain was invented was specifically not for this. You do not need a blockchain for this. You need an authenticated database. And you're in charge anyway. Same as like private blockchains. Private blockchains are idiotic. Just have a database. And you have a distributed, cryptographically signed database. I mean, you're using this for a company or an organization or even a country. Somebody's in charge, right? Somebody per definition has control. And... So I put a I put something in the show notes. So the basic guideline to remember here is if so something doesn't need, doesn't strictly need to be under decentral control of the public, and not even decentral, like of the public, right? You can have decent decentralized systems um, that, actually I misspelled this in the show notes. I'm just going to have to fix that. Uh, not decentral, decentral. Lyst. Sorry for that. Bumping the microphone. Anyway, fixing the show notes. Private system not press. Uh, I'm very proud of my show notes. Um, if it if something doesn't strictly need to be under decentralized control of the public, using blockchain technology um, is dumb and probably more costly. And we're talking money, time, effort, energy, or all of the above, or some of the above, than using other technologies. It doesn't make any sense. If if you're dealing with a problem where somebody's in charge anyway, or a group of people is in charge, I mean, you know, decentralized social networks are a good example, right? That like there there are some out there now with blockchain technology, and I never understand why. I, I you know I, I stopped researching this. I read into one or two, and I'm like, why? Like the only reason they use blockchain is because you can put that on a, on a website, and some investors who don't know what the hell a blockchain is, I guess. Go like, oh yeah, a blockchain, I heard about that. That's the technology of the future, give those people money. I assume that's how it works. Um, because you can have decentralized systems like that uh, without without a blockchain. I mean, you know, we have Identica and Status.net and all of that. We have decent, like we have IRC, we have email. This is all this all these are all decentralized systems that work without a blockchain because this whole idea that you need a blockchain to be decentralized is bullshit because you can be decentralized in creating a system a protocol let's say uh, where everybody can run their own servers for example right I mean the internet is decentralized you have HTML you have HTTP you have UDP you have all these, like, you have all protocols and all these kind of layers and all this shit. 
and then everybody can just put a website on there and 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 if it works like it was intended then you know i have my own server and that's it's at my home where it's not how it works technically but you know could work like that and then you can't do anything about it uh, and that's a decentralized system right or you have like your own identica server or your own matrix server you set that up um and then it's that is under your control and you federate all the information you you in a peer-to-peer version maybe even you, you spread all the information around and um you don't have to have a blockchain like putting social media information in a blockchain is the dumbest idea i've ever heard because a blockchain per definition is unchangeable if i put anything in there and the next block gets validated and then we're on to the third block then you can't change that block anymore so if i do a post on a on the decentralized bitcoin uh, blockchain twitter or whatever it is uh, the anti musk fucking open source nerd social network um then i can never get rid of it anymore right i can never change i mean on twitter i can change it but like i mean there are there are like significant issues with this there are legal issues with it i mean the the bitcoin blockchain chain actually has these legal issues um for example um in germany right we have laws against uh, uh certain things like the uh the swastika flag or um the the greeting uh, uh right which is you know is banned under the the grundgesetz um unless uh, you're explaining something like i do right now or you're like in a historic context or in a in a educational context, um, then that's banned. So if you, if and I think somebody did this, if you write that into the blockchain, then the, literally the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, is banned in Germany. Um, the only reason why why that isn't the case is that it's new technology and nobody fucking cares or knows how to work with it. Um, and uh, Indie Game EX uh, in in in. in in Twitch chat saying, uh, this is my favorite episode so far. Wow, that is high praise. Thank you. Okay, 117 episodes. I mean, kind of, everybody thought like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin episode was their favorite Linux Outlaws episode. Maybe I should have done this way earlier. Um, let's let's wait, wait, what you think about uh, NFTs in the next one. Um, let's put a blockchain in a blockchain to make sure the blockchain is safe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've literally... I've literally had PR companies sending me pitches like that. You're joking. This exists. And, you know, sometimes I'm in a mood where I write back to people like this and then go like, um, sorry, you don't seem to realize, like, I don't think you know what you're saying because it's nonsense. They're like, no, this makes total sense. I'm like, okay, explain it to me then. And then they just have some boilerplate. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. That, this, I mean, this makes no sense. It's just techno babble. It's techno babble for salespeople. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But anyway, you can have legal issues like that, right? You can you can have your fucking blockchain banned because somebody put something in there that you can't delete anymore because that's how the system works. I mean, there somebody put, you know, they had to actually whitelist. Somebody put a virus, like a really old virus, you know, prank into the Bitcoin blockchain. And then that got detected by antivirus software. So they had to, you know, there's all these kind of issues. Um, so there are just... A blockchain was a very specific solution for the problem that Bitcoin had. That's not to say that it's not good technology and that it could be used for other things. 
but its use case is 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 pretty limited right it's 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 not good for banks doing anything for countries doing anything uh for companies doing things having a database it's it's not good for like having a, a social network um and it's not good for nfts but that's a nfts a completely different topic we're going to do that next episode um and i'm going to need some a little bit more red wine today we're drinking a lovely uh from 2018 from uh, the Pfalz, the Palatinate in Germany, Weinguthof. Grüße gehen raus, as we say in Germany. Uh, greetings. Um, yeah, they're not sponsoring the show, by the way. I just, you just, my, my family's been buying their wine for ages. Um, yeah, so th this is one of my pet peeves because it drives me up the wall. I mean, every week I get like a press release of somebody, oh, let's use the blockchain for this. This is not a good use for the blockchain. He, I don't think he know what the blockchain actually does. Like these days, I'm probably not exaggerating when I say, when somebody says, let's use the blockchain for this, or we're using the blockchain for this, in 99% of cases, you could just use a database, right? Have a cryptographically signed distributed database. But, you know, you could just use a database. You don't need a blockchain. Um, I mean, there is, there are, you know, other cryptocurrencies, things that do smart contracts. And then it, like, that, ha you know, where you really want to do that, kind of like Bitcoin in a decentralized way where no state has control over it, you know, and, and that's actually one argument for the way NFTs work that I'm going to get into next week. That makes sense. Um, but, that's it basically right and then all of those mo almost all of those use cases have the same problem that bitcoin has like bitcoin was a the, the idea of, of of bitcoin is extremely disruptive it's a very anarchic thing it's like let's take this thing that states have had for literally millennia that that's like one of the main pillars of how a state holds on to power right i mean starting with the, with i mean okay it was a bit different in classical times but like you know starting with the middle ages like a king in a country had control and power because they controlled the mint and they could make money and they had the army like and the mint was more important because until napoleon we didn't even have standing armies you, could raise, you had to raise your levies and stuff. If you play Crusader Kings, Kings you know what's going on. But, um, right, it's literally one of the pillars of power of a state. And that's a very, that's a very disruptive idea to do that. And, and, and it has the problem that this whole, oh, let's, let's let the, uh, the, the, the society as a whole control this thing. It's like a, it's like a fucking Marxist-Leninist idea. It's kind of like, let's, let's take the things with which the powerful people control all of us away from them. You know, I did a socialism episode. Um, oh, God, which episode? Now I have to tell you which episode that was. Why do I keep doing this and I'm not prepared? I do this every time. Well, you can go to Private Citizen Press, scroll all the way down, 
go to more episodes you get all the episodes socialism primer episode 34 check that out you know generally a good idea that turned into shit um you know kind of kind of like the blockchain almost like but it has this like the blockchain has this problem and all the use cases have this problem where like states don't like it yes i don't know fucking ecuador whatever has is a currency and all that so um like it's it's a it's a it's a it's an official currency and all the bitcoin fanboys or the the, the blockchain fanboys are like and and thus the the future has begun and the march for no right a fucking state like germany never will never do anything like this because having a currency is how we control um our um is how a state exercises power and how a state defines itself. Just look at the European Union and the the um I know the euro itself has nothing to do with the European Union really, but de facto look at the European Union before the euro and how it exercised power and how much power it could exercise. And look at when Germany mainly went and we want to make Europe a a thing that exists that actually has political power real, that has real also geopolitical power and created the euro right and look at how much collaboration between countries um, especially economically but like in peacetime that's where everything flows from basically um, you know and since there's no war within the European Union or has, has never been um that's how everything is that's how power is exercised right and and just 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 look at that and just imagine that's taken away again like the creating the euro and getting rid of all these individual currencies was a huge shift of power within the european union um just imagine the united states um not having a federal currency right just 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 imagine california and texas having different currencies if you're in the US or Wales in England, um, how much less power the in the US, the federal government uh, in the UK, the crown had if they had, didn't have their own currency. Uh, this is this is something that's usually not discussed and that normal people don't think about, but like people on the street. But it's a, it's a huge point. And, and so every application of a blockchain by definition if it's if it's used correctly right if it's used in a in a situation where you couldn't just use a federated cryptographically secure database um if it's actually a use case for a blockchain it has the stigma because with this use case comes like nobody has control of it the part like this wild west um even though it is not really that, but that's what politicians in this, like it's an uncontrollable thing, right? No, no country that actually that isn't fucking. Was it Ecuador? Like no country that actually has a functioning economy that it wants to keep control of wants to lose control of its currency. And it's the main reason why some countries in Europe didn't go with the euro for that specific reason. Um, so. Right, it has this this stigma, right? And there's like a huge application for another application other than Bitcoin 
for blockchains in the financial sector, which is like smart contracts and 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 banking, independent of banks, right? Which 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 is another thing. This is this is something that, that the banks don't want to will not happen, will not have happen, right? Uh, in the, at the very most, they will like embrace and extend it, you know, like Microsoft back in the day, um, that kind of approach. Because it's like banks not having like control of banking, like that makes banks useless, right? And if you're a bank, you, you don't want that. Um, that's like if if anybody could build their own car, right? If you if it was that easy, and if you could just go to the hardware store and pick up parts and build your car, it makes car manufacturers obsolete. Right? This is why the PC is such a singular technology because anybody can build their PC. And this is why building PCs has never been a really lucrative business. I mean, okay, there is Dell and, and Lenovo and stuff like that. But like compared to Apple, who went, we're going to have our own system where we're in control. Look how much money, how much more money they are making. And, and companies and Anybody who wants power and, you know, economics is essentially power, um, wants this control and will never go to this application of, of blockchain. So blockchains are this thing where it's like, it's a genius invention. It, it works what it was supposed to do, but it has this problem that it's been used in a huge variety of applications for something where it, it really shouldn't be used. And it's just complete nonsense that it's used there. Just somebody got sold something, um, or it's being used in an application where it, like Bitcoin, like Bitcoin um, has problem. Like Bitcoin is not revolutionizing the world because every country that has control of a currency doesn't want you to use Bitcoin because they don't want you to use that control, and they will fight tooth and nail forever to hold onto that control. And the only reason why Bitcoin survives uh, uh, and the blockchain survives, which is a testament to this idea by Satoshi, whoever that is, that is, um, is that it actually works, right? That you can't control it. You can't take take it over. Um, that makes it a fact. And that makes it so interesting. It, it's, a, it, it's a fact that it exists. It can't be changed. But that doesn't change the fact that, you know, this technology blockchain has this huge image problem when it comes to people that are in power that would like to keep their power and since those are the people that are deciding everything on the planet um, it's not like it's going to be adopted anytime soon um, yeah so that's my take on blockchains and um, why they're often used in situations where they shouldn't be used and if somebody comes to you and says students in a blockchain I have a sit back have a thought and you know think a little bit about databases and maybe you can just avoid that whole blockchain thing because chances are you don't need to do it in a blockchain and it's going to give you a headache of some kind energy use just making it way more complicated than it has to be um right that's it. That's it for this topic. I, I hope you like this explanation as much as Indie Game X. <laughs> and um, 
who has a awesome Twitch channel, by the way. Check out Indie Game EX. Um, and has been a supporter of the show and a producer for a long time. Um, and and next time, probably next week, probably next Wednesday, um, we're going to talk about NFTs. And that's going to even get more ranty. Um, because there we have, a just to have a little bit of a teaser, um, there we have a point and a case where actually I think generally the use of the blockchain technology is actually valid in that case, but the whole pre like the premise is wrong, and that that has nothing to do with blockchain. I just did this blockchain episode first so you understand what a blockchain is, because I think you need to do that. Because at the beginning I'm going to explain what NFTs are, and I don't think you can understand that if you don't know what a blockchain is. Um, but then we're we're gonna get into a more philosophical debate on why I think um, I would even almost. Like it's a, I don't know, abomination is probably the wrong word. It's like a, you're trying to do something. It's like a Herculean, it's not like a Herculean task, like a Sisyphus kind of task where you're trying to roll that thing uphill. Right? You're, you're trying to do something that is against all the forces of nature and that 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 is probably going to fail or be doomed to in Illuminati, if that's how you pronounce that word correctly. Now that I say that, I'm I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, we're going to talk about that next time, NFTs. Now, now we're going to talk about a little bit of feedback, because I got some feedback, and uh, feedback to the show is important to me. So uh, go to Private Citizen Press and give me some feedback. did have some feedback on the forum um forum.fab.industries um you know that's a general forum for all the stuff i do but it has a private citizen um section there and we have some nice discussion there with the producers uh some very interesting things today i learned something about uh, sydney crosby that i didn't know and i know a lot of things about sydney crosby go pens by the way um but uh, we had uh, petit michel Petit, Petit Michel uh, writing in uh, in response to episode 115, which was about, you know, the war in Ukraine. And it's maybe some of the similarities to the winter war in Finland in World War II. And uh, Petit Michel says, uh, I read a little bit into the Wikipedia article on the winter war. It's all horrifying. All war is. Amen to that. But something about this line I found especially alarming for some reason. Quote, most Soviet soldiers had proper winter clothes, but this was not the case with every unit. In the Battle of... Oh, it's Finnish. Sumusalmi? Sumusalmi. Berkele. Berkele. Satani. Berkele. Sind sie? Wir suchen eine Skihopser. Uh, anybody who knows uh, the Kür, um, uh, you know, the, the, the one or two listeners who, who will get this, will get a kick out of this. Anyway, in the Battle of uh, Sumu Salmi, thousands of Soviet soldiers died of frostbite. Um, and to this, Petit Michel says, maybe it was uh, a past experience I had with a broken down Chevette, the Trans-Canada Highway between Swift Current and Moose Jaw, this is such a Canadian story, and a minus 45 degree cold snap 
or as likely Game of Thrones, non-serious and sheltered person, person that I am. Yeah, Frostbite is very serious. I mean, there is um, there are many stories of, uh, from World War II of German soldiers. I mean, a lot of this is, of course, um, kind of, um, there's no sympathy with these soldiers because, of course, they were Nazis and they were on the wrong side of the war and whatever. Um, but if you talk to veterans uh, back in the day or like Germans who, um, who were on the Eastern Front, um, and, th you know, they they didn't have proper winter clothes. I mean, that was one of the reasons Hitler's um, ill-fated attempt, uh, Operation Barbarossa. Oh, no, Operation Barbarossa was the year after. But, like, Hitler's, Hitler's idea to just march to Moscow and take it um, and, and expecting there to be uh, supply lines by the time the winter came, and then they just, they're stuck there. And they didn't even have winter clothes. I mean, there's some some really horrible stories. Um, there's also the uh, there's a German movie called Stalingrad, which I mean, there's several movies called Stalingrad, but it's a very good one. Um, I think I mentioned this on the show before. Um, wait, let me see which movie that was. I think it's from 1993. I think that's the one. Yeah, uh, from 1993. Uh, starring uh, Dominik Horvitz, uh, Thomas Kretschmann, uh, and Jochen Nickel. Um, this is a this is a very good movie that that also uh, deals with some some of these issues. Uh, but anyway, yes, um, that that's a horrible horrible part of war. Um, whereas the Finns are made out of sterner stuff. Uh, you know, fam famous. Uh, uh, Finnish sniper, uh, the White Death. Uh, God, I'm I'm just googling stuff now. Um, can't can't spell either. It's not gonna help. Uh, Sabathon has a has an amazing song about uh, Simo Heya, Heya, Simo Heya. Um, yeah, uh, Sabathon has a song about him. Like small guy, um, would lie in the snow for hours with his rifle that was as as tall as him almost and um to wait for some soviet soldiers to shoot and um he uh i mean he was shot through the jaw and survived i mean he was he he was uh 96 he died in 2002 but like he was famous for just lying in the snow for hours and then actually putting snow in his mouth so that he wouldn't breathe out, like that you wouldn't see the condensation from his mouth. Um, I mean, those guys. Um, I'm gonna gonna if everything goes according to plan, I'm gonna visit Finland for the first time this year. Uh, although in the summer, <laughs> I'm kind of afraid to go there in the winter. I'm somebody who doesn't really like the cold, but that's going to be interesting. Anyway, um, Petit Michel. Um, Continues, I've been trying to find recent press coverage of any remaining uh, peace process for Ukraine, other than news which is of entirely unknown significance to me that the Security Council has agreed to endorse the Secretary General's peace efforts. I'm finding nothing. Yeah, I, don't, I think that's of, of, of entirely uh, no significance to anybody um, because it's the UN Security Council. I mean geopolitics impact uh, is, is about zero. <laughs> um, 
Did the efforts uh, once reported about Turkish, Israeli, Pakistani or other heads of states to drive forward negotiations all evaporate? Obviously, Blinken and Austin, so this is the US uh, guys, aren't helping with their now publicly stated goal to use this war to weaken Russia's military capability. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, I've been pointing this out from the beginning that there were no... There is very little... Um, efforts at peace um, I mean there were efforts at peace by, by like as you said Turkey uh, was reported quite a lot um, but not by like the NATO countries yeah, or Germany I mean um, I, I would expect Germany to be like as a as a, as a German um, you know who, who looks at our constitution and our history I would expect us to be uh, on the forefront especially when our um, like reconciliation history of reconciliation with the with with Russia you know um, during the Cold War and after um, to be involved in this and to be involved with finding peace instead we are sending um, artillery pieces to to Ukraine we're training soldiers in Germany Ukrainian soldiers how to fire these um, yeah um, and and coming from a foreign minister, who is from the Green Party, who, um, I mean, I can't impress, if you haven't lived in Germany in the 80s and early 90s, I see, my parents used to be um, a Labour Party, and they were relatively close with the Green Party, and, you know, they had a government which I really liked under, under Schröder at the end of the 90s, but I can remember, like, going to, like, a May Day parades um, with my parents, because, you know, um, kind of kind of thing my dad was was in the party and was a politician and stuff and you'd go to these parades and there was these green people and they always have like sunflowers like literally they have some and they're like some of them are like the the most stereotypical hippies like some of them have like dreadlocks and fucking and they're like you know peace and there was going on about peace this whole party had like two um like ideals right like ecological you know like climate i mean this was before climate politics was the thing but like ecological politics you know the green party like protecting nature and peace that was this was literally the thing and under schroeder there was like this important thing where the foreign minister was also green Joschka fischer and they were like you know very strongly opposed uh, to us getting into the war uh, in iraq you know, it was like Afghanistan's fucking enough. Let's let's not do this. And Schröder then at the end decided to not do it, which was a very very smart. I mean, it was a completely realpolitik decision, but it was one of these things where you know, if you actually follow realpolitik because the voters want you to, then you're actually doing the right thing at the end. And he was doing the right thing, and and now you have a Green Party who suddenly is sending tank. I mean, Der Spiegel for all of the you know scorn I heap on their journalism sometimes they have really good headlines and they had like <laughs> yeah, like in their last it must have been their last issue or whatever um, so the party's called Die Grünen in, which is German for the Greens and, and they had like a photoshop montage of like the foreign minister in her like uh, 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 Strandturk uh, you know plate carrier and then the one of the other party guys with like a, 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 a anti-aircraft thing over his shoulder. That was actually photoshopped, I think, you know. Uh, Baerbaum was actually uh, sporting the Strandtuck when she's down there. Uh, but like, 
uh, you know, I had like these three green politicians, and the the the, the headline was just "Die Olivgrün," so the, the the olive greens, basically the you know the, the camouflage, because that's also green. Uh, it's a, a very very good headline, very on on point, and um, yeah, it's, it's one of these things where like um, the, the Greens were always a party where like uh, you know in the in the late eighties, early nineties, there was like we're different, you know. We have ideals, um, kind of like the Labour Party in Germany was back in the 1900s. Um, but you know, all parties mature and they um, they throw their ideals overboard. You could see every you know the the the, the Pirate Party was was the point for me where I actually do did believe in their ideals at first, which I was young and naive. I don't do that anymore. I don't believe politicians when they say they have ideals. But yeah, that is, I mean, it's not a U.S. thing. It's Germany's the same thing. It's it's all propaganda. It's all pro-war propaganda, which is under the guise of like the Ukrainians fighting the good fight, which you know might be true, but it's still pro-war, right? And I'm somebody. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a pacifist. I'm certainly not anymore. But I'm I'm against war generally. Um, I think sometimes, you know, war can be justified, as in like World War Two to some extent. Um, but um, generally, I, w I would like to 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 have less war, and what everybody seems to be working at right now is more war. Um, especially those people who claim to be um, until the twenty fourth of February, twenty twenty two, very loudly claim to be pacifists. Like you know, it's not only politicians. I mean, I have friends, just people I know, um, people I follow on Twitter. Who like when I was in a, in a in a shooting club and I was posting pictures of me shooting things and they were like, oh, why are you pro gun? With gun, guns are evil. I'm a pacifist. I'm like, you know, being a pacifist has nothing to do with owning. Gun. Like pacifist is about being against war. Me having a gun has nothing to do with war. But okay, um, you could be against guns, I guess. But like, those are the same people who are literally applauding us sending fucking artillery pieces to Ukraine. And they're like, that's not enough. We need to send them tanks as well. Like, you can't make that shit up. Um, anyway, um, let's finish up this feedback segment. Petit Michel also commented. Um, so I was on, on episode 116. I was kind of using the left as shorthand. And I said it's shorthand and it's an incredible uh, oversimplification. And it's not really good that I do that, but I kind of have to do that. Um, and he commented on that. He had a much longer comment, which is, re you know, well worth reading. I put a link in the show notes, uh, private citizen press slash episode slash 117. Um, but I I want to pick out one sentence that you posted, which is just, this is almost an aphorism. Like you could print that in a book of aphorisms. Uh, Petit Michel says, however, the great thing about the left is they can never fucking agree on anything. <laughs> which is so true and it goes through like you know the like moderate left that i would say like you know my parents were when i was like a kid and stuff like that you know labor party in germany uh social democrats stuff like that and then it goes all the way to the beginning of marxism leninism when fucking uh lenin uh and and uh you know and and the guys and trotsky and fucking stalin are sitting like and then they they're creating the soviet state uh, and you know the, the 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 all the all the Soviets and all the little 
the bureaucracy and they they can't they couldn't fucking they had meetings this like i read a, a stalin biography um a while ago and like the f the first issue which is about like you know well the the second part of the first issue which 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 deals with like when they when they um they basically win the revolution and they start setting up a state and it's like it's 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 like 19 what is it, like 17 18 and it's fucking meeting hell they just have meetings and they have meetings all and they have these pictures with all of them and they have all these books and all these records and they, nobody knows what they're doing like they're literally we're, we're like a republic of workers nobody on the fucking council is has ever been in a factory they like had one guy who was ever like in the higher echelons of the party actually used to be a factory worker once you know <laughs> Stalin was a fucking in a monastery Lenin was a journalist Trotsky was a journalist all of them like fucking failed journalists the worst people never trust journalists to run a state say that as a journalist never don't get that idea anybody who is a journalist who then gets the idea to become a politician not, not, not a good thing anyway they could never fucking agree on anything so true um, so true about the about the left um whereas you know the right is always uh military and uh, i mean it's a stereotype as well but it, it it's somewhat true right um which is why the left was more intellectual and they you know they discuss things and i mean them it might kill <laughs> you know socialism might have killed millions of people but at least they were like um having ethical discussions uh, while they were doing it, whereas the Nazis and the, the right, the fascists, are always like, just follow everybody, march, let's fucking, if you, if you don't shut up, you get shot. You know, in the end, it's, it's kind of the same result, but it's, uh, I just found this, you can, you can print that in a book. <laughs> the great thing about the left is they can never fucking agree with any, on anything. It's probably the mo most concise uh, and spot on political feedback I ever had on the show. I really like that. So um, thank you, Petit Michel. If you also have some feedback on this episode, you liked it, you didn't like it, any topics you want me to cover, anything you uh, you wanna you wanna say yourself, whatever, private system or press, go to the show notes. Um, there are many ways in there to contact me um, under producer feedback at the bottom. There, there are links and everything. There's a link in the top. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I might always almost say if, if you can't find the way to contact me i probably don't want to hear from you <laughs> so yeah, yeah i mean but anybody who listens to the show and can stand me rambling on about blockchain for an hour and a half is either intelligent enough to do that or determined enough i don't know either way you'll be able to send me feedback i think um so let's let's talk quickly about how this how this show uh, is kept on the air. It's kept on the air by you because God knows nobody's gonna buy advertising. Like, it's gonna advertise something like this. 
you know, you get advertising if you go, yeah, blockchains are the greatest. Invest in this cryptocurrency. Use this VPN now. They use blockchain technology. Yeah, but uh, something like this, uh, nobody's gonna gonna put ads on here, which is kind of good. Let's 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 be happy about that. Um, but on the flip side, basically, the show only happens if uh, people who listen to it like it enough to step up and contribute, um, you know, with feedback, with ideas, and also monetarily. That's the value for value model. Um, that's also explained in the show notes. Um, you can join my Patreon, become a patron, uh, link in the show notes, or you can use PayPal producers at fab.industries because I like Elon Musk so much as we recently learned. And that's about it. I'm not going to go into that. I talk about this every episode. Uh, but I would like to thank everybody who supported this very episode that you're listening to, um, which some people already said they liked. Um, so thanks to George's, Steve Ho's, Butterbeans, Rodane the Insane, Michael Small, Jonathan M. Hede, Michael Mullen Jensen, 1I11G, Dave, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Sandman616, Bennett Piata, Lat, Mode7, Rizal, Kai Sears, Joe Poser, Avis, Dirk Didi, Fadi Mansour, uh, who's also uh, in chat earlier, I think I saw on Twitch. Um, David Potter, Mika, Cam, Mr. Amish, Dave Amrish, Ricky M., Barry Williams, Jonathan, RJ Tracy, Rick Bragg, Captain Eckhart, Astro C., Robert Forster, Superuser D, No Reply, and Crunkle. And also thanks, speaking of Twitch, <clears throat> my voice giving out. Um, thanks to my Twitch subscribers, um, because I stream this live on Twitch, so they kind of support this as well. So thanks to Mike the Dane, JonathanMH.com, Galterran, El Terrestrium, Redeemer F, Bacon the Pork, Mode 7 is unavailable, Mode 7 is unavailable, and Jonathan, Jonathan, 4747, possibly a Star Trek fan. Um, nice tidbit, uh, 47, most used number. In Star Trek, well, at least yeah, from TNG onwards, it, it's everywhere. It's like kind of an in joke, which is why I like the number forty-seven. And also thanks to Bitemark at Bitemark.co.uk, the UK cloud hosting company that are providing the hosting for all these audio files for the podcast. And I couldn't do a show without them. So, so thanks to Bitemark. I've, I've had too much wine. I can't talk anymore. Time to um, get out of here. See you probably next week for an episode on uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Uh, until then, I'm going to play us out with a song, but I also have to mention the theme tune because, you know, I like to give credit where credit's due. And uh, that song I licensed from Raul. 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 Dr. Disrespect would say. Kabezali. Um, Acoustic Roots, it's called. I, I love it. It's very mellow. It's become synonymous with this show. Um, yeah, I hope you like it too. And I'm going to play us out because, I mean, we, we, we were talking about the blockchain, which is like tech and, and, and you know, hipster and, and high tech. So I picked this out a song, which is synth, synth Wave. It's called MX7000 by Lupus Nocte. So the, uh, if my limited Latin serves me right, the Night Wolf, Wolf of the Night. 
Uh, thanks everybody for listening. See you soon. Aim to misbehave and sapra aude. <laughs> <laughs>